um, eating, but uh, it's good to have you along. Hey, look, now, next Sunday is really one of the most important, significant, really, Sundays in our life together, our community. So please um, just look around. If you think, oh, so-and-so's not here, uh, let them know, invite them along, bring them along. It's it's just a great morning, um, great food, um, and uh, all topped off by pancakes. Now, I want to start off this morning by asking you about your favourite underdog moment, your favourite underdog winner. You know, it could be, you know, England's got talent. Could be uh, uh, sporting. I've got a photo here. It's Ethan. So um, those who can see it or remember the movie. Um, the top photo on the right is Australia's first first ever Olympic gold medal in Winter Olympics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's got to be one of my favourite underdog moments, just when everyone in front of you falls over. I mean, it's just, it's just great. I never get tired of watching the, the YouTube clip. Who can tell us about the middle, middle photo? 5,000 to 1 odds. Yeah. How about that? Never, ever before won an English Premier League pennant. Uh, Just a bit excited there. And, of course, the bottom one uh, we are familiar with. Uh, I'm saving... um, I'm not going to talk about football. Okay, we just... It's all right. Don't know how they got there, even. Um, Next photo. Who knows? Who can tell me where this photo was taken? Who are these two fighters? Got to go back a few years. Oh, look at this. A man is into his blood sports. All right. Yeah. So I was going to have a UFC um, underdog hero for Jeff Keane, but I thought I wouldn't, mate. Didn't want to, you know, we'll save that one. But um, it is February 11, 1990, Tokyo Dome. This is Mike Tyson. Uh, Not who's standing up. He's on the canvas. Now, Mike Tyson, youngest ever boxing world champion ever. In history of the sport, 20 years old, he's, he's Mr. Heavyweight of the World. This photo is of James Buster Douglas. He went in, into this fight at 1 to 42 odds. Um, like that is, in boxing terms, got no hope. The guy's going to be knocked out. Um, uh, it's the eighth round. Buster is knocked flat to the canvas. Uh, he looks out and you think, just stay down, stay down. It's going to get ugly from here. But he gets back up. And then the unthinkable happens in the tenth round. He just lets loose and KOs Mike Tyson. Um, and to, to watch the YouTube, to hear the commentators and all the, you know, it's like never, ever seen it before in the history of uh, boxing. Um, Don King, uh, the fight promoter um, of this fight, he says, yeah, I reckon he captures it well. It was unbelievable. It's one of the biggest upsets in sports history. It always kept me humble to know this can happen. Always kept me humble to know this has happened. Now, I don't know, blood sport's not my favourite way of, of uh, relaxing. Uh, and I even thought twice about showing um, a boxing ring. But then I got me thinking, Christianity is a blood sport, isn't it? Except it's not a sport. We're sort of dealing with uh, where people are going to spend eternity. Uh, Revelation is written to remind followers of Jesus that... They aren't just winners, they've already won. Um, Look with me, uh, chapter 12, verses 11, just open your Bibles up. This really is the theme uh, verse for the whole uh, talk, and possibly even if you were looking for a theme verse that summarises the book of Revelation, this is it, chapter 12, verse 11, chapter 12, verse 11, they triumphed over him, they triumphed over him 
by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They triumphed. They overcame. They conquered. It's actually the same word uh, all throughout Revelation. It's the word for, con- for conquered. Uh, and notice it's, it's not they are triumphing. They are conquering. No, they have conquered. They, being weak, frail bunch of Christians, local churches, uh, like the seven local churches we read about in chapters 2 and 3 in Asia Minor, in John's day, uh, like any local church anywhere, they have conquered. Every time we walk in the door, you remember, we walk in as people who have already conquered. Now, let's be honest, we don't actually feel that. In the Apostle John's day, uh, Christians were hiding in catacombs. They were crucified upside down on crosses, fed to lions for sport. Um, the Roman Empire, they were fear, they were formidable. Uh, they were the Mike Tyson um, of John's day uh, for hundreds of years, actually. And yet John writes, they, local churches of faithful followers, conquered over him. Over who? Well, over Satan, the adversary, the devil, the father of lies, the dragon, the serpent, the accuser. He gets lots of names in these couple of chapters. It looks like impossibly long odds that we're backing a winner. Uh, the weak, frail, vulnerable little church against the devil. Satan. Hardly a fair fight. Local churches are struggling, stressed out, suffering and straying Christians against Satan. And yet John writes, they triumphed over him, they conquered. Do you feel like a conqueror this morning? Do you feel, is that how you feel? Um, We often don't feel like that. Uh, Colin beautifully um, summarised the the idea of the cycles, the pancakes. Uh, This is the third pancake, the third cycle. Um, so we've, you know, we've sat in the seat of the suffering church, haven't we, with the seven seals. And when God seals it, it's God's sure thing. Uh, we sat in the seat of the unbelieving world, the trumpets, uh, those warnings uh, of increasing judgment uh, that are part of God's relentless grace as he pursues um, an unbelieving world, uh, begging them to turn to him. And then here we are today sitting uh, in heaven, I think sort of with the angels, with the spiritual powers, as we get a, to, to have a look uh, at the spiritual conflict, seven symbolic histories, or if you like, the seven main characters um, uh, that we should uh, know about between Jesus' first and second coming. Now, we're only looking at the first four today in chapters 12 and 13. We're looking at the dragon, at Satan, the woman, the people of God, the beast, and the false prophet. Uh, There's an outline there, two big headings. Chapter 12 uh, is all about the Lamb's great victory. In fact, I want to suggest chapters 12 to 14. So I've saved 14 for next week. It's just, it's a beautiful standalone chapter. Chapters 12 to 14, all part of the one cycle, but they're the center there. They're really, it's where the book climaxes to really, um, in some sense. Let's just refresh our memories, those first couple of um, sentences there in chapter 12. We're on page 1245. A great sign appeared in heaven. The woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, cried out in pain, as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head, and its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth and 
Now, I don't know what you think. Uh, I always used to think of, uh, this is Mary here, talking about Mary. Um, but then I came to uh, appreciate that, um, again, you know, that rule that we, you want to understand the Bible, let the Bible interpret the Bible. Uh, and that in Revelation, there's really no new re- revelation being disclosed. It's, it's truths already revealed about God from the rest of the Bible. Um, being packaged up in light of Jesus cross to help us understand the significance of Jesus cross now a woman clothed with the sun the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head actually, actually takes us back to Joseph's dream in chapter 37 of Genesis uh, remember Joseph dreamed where you had the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down to him yeah and so the woman here is the people of God. And so what you've got here is, it's a way of summarising um, the history of God's Old Testament people, really right from Adam and Eve, but especially from Abraham. Uh, their trials, how they were tested, and, and, and their birth pangs, and what it took to, to bring forth to that point in history uh, when Mary, the Virgin, did give birth to Christ Jesus, the Saviour. So what we've got here again, Revelation, it's a picture book, symbolic, okay? God often refers to his people uh, as a woman or a bride, uh, and so the woman is God's people. And just think with me, you get up to, to, to really from even before Jesus is born, uh, and you've got opposition and, and threats on Jesus' life with Herod. Um, we read about that in the beginning of Matthew's um, Gospel. You've got Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, um, you've got the growing opposition as he begins his public ministry. Uh, people from his own hometown to th- try to throw him off the edge of a cliff. And then you've got the religious leaders. And, and finally, the plots and the betrayals and the plans, uh, they, they seem to win the day. You've got Jesus hanging up there dead on a cross. Uh, I mean, surely they've won. Surely the dragon has won. But wait, wait. What do we read there in verse 5? She gave birth to a son... A male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snapped, snatched up to God and to his throne. Now I reckon verse 5 has to be the shortest summary of the gospel, of Jesus' whole life. He's born, he's snatched up to heaven, and he's enthroned. That is, you know, it's the shock and the fear at his death, but then the joy... The tomb is empty. Jesus is risen. And, of course, the Gospels record him ascending and being enthroned at God's right hand. And at Jesus' cross, instead, of, of course, of God's defeat, it's his victory. Jesus' cross, instead of the devil's triumph, it was his defeat. And what else are we told here? Well, we're told um, that the, the, the dragon's a bit angry. He's done it. He's missed out. And so he chases after the woman, the the people of God, for 1,260 days. Now, we already know about this number. 1,260 days equals how many months? 42 months, which equals a time and a times and a half, so three and a half years. And, of course, it's all talking about the same period, uh, which is at a larger period in the desert, uh, when he was pursued uh, and God took him out into the wilderness, uh, protected him, nourished him, fed him, um, it was a time of great power when Elijah prayed. He shut the heavens up for three and a half years, didn't rain. And then he prayed again and it started raining. So it was a time of prayer and great power, God's protection. 
And that's how we understand the times that we are living in between Jesus' first and second coming. Well, it brings us to, if you like, that's the introduction, um, if you like. Uh, but the first symbolic history or the character, you've got the dragon um, there. We've been introduced to the dragon and the woman. But verse 7 to 12, the dragon is defeated and expelled. We're told that war breaks out in heaven. The dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray, he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Now remember, this is not a timeline. It's not a geography lesson. Um, We're back at the beginning, looking afresh, sitting with the angels. Uh, When Jesus died at the cross, what happened? Um, Satan was disarmed. He was thrown out of heaven. Um, You know, in Job, you read about how Satan coming before God continually, asking permission to do certain things to Job. Okay? Um, not anymore. Uh, Satan's thrown out of heaven. He no longer has access to the throne room of God to be able to accuse God's people before God. Um, he's thrown out. And so in response to that, you've got the loud voice of heavenly worshippers um, spelling out that victory there. Again, have a look in verse 10. Verse 10 of chapter 12. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, in fact, let's say these words together. This is God's people. Um, verse 10 and 11 together. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of the Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. How do we conquer? Um, All those photos at the beginning, of course, they won on the back of um, their effort. Okay, their superior effort. Um, we win uh, on the back of Jesus' superior effort. We're more like the fans sitting in the, in the stands, you know, riding our team to victory. Um, that's what's going on here. By Jesus' blood, he's already won. The victory's already won. Satan has been thrown out, disarmed. And let's be honest, in this world, our confidence um, gets chipped, it gets dented, it gets eroded. Uh, But we're reminded that Jesus has won and so has anyone who's actually taken refuge in him. We're protected. We're like Elijah out there in the desert. Now, of course, one of the ways Satan tries to deceive Christians, um, especially, is doubt. Is doubt. Um, You know those sort of mind games? Um, It's like like a little sort of voice in your head, you know, a critic, you know, just whispering away. I mean, that's, that's your voice, it's my voice, it's not Satan's voice, but it's just how he loves to use um, these voices of doubt. You know, oh, you're no good, oh, you're stuffed up again, oh, look at you, hey, never be good enough, oh, why do you bother keep going to church? Look, you just, you don't fit in there, you're, look, you're not good enough, you're never going to be good enough, just, just give in. They're the sort of, I think, mind games um, the devil loves to, to use to his end. And that's why it's so important we just keep rehearsing the cross, keep gathering together like this. Um, even when we're tired, we don't feel like it. Um, it's, it's doing this activity that, that Jesus loves to use to remind of his, of his win, uh, to silence the critic in our head with the word of the gospel, the word of the testimony and by his blood, by his blood and the word of the gospel. And so the end of chapter 12, the woman we read was persecuted, persecuted but protected. Uh, Look with me again. Uh, We read from verses 12 and 13. 
Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He's filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been held to the earth, he pursued the woman who had been given birth to the male child. And it goes on. Uh, So he's disarmed, he's angry, he's furious. Um, And again, we've been reminded that his days are numbered. Um, and, And he knows, he knows his days are numbered. Um, now, what was the significance of D-Day for World War II? happened in 1994. So the day the Allies landed at Normandy, what was the significance of that for the rest of the war? The it was the end. I mean, the war went on for another year. But it was the end. Uh, from that point on, Germany was in retreat, and they fought. There were casualties. People died on both sides. Allies were always going to win the war. They'd won. They'd won. And so it's a bit like that. Uh, it's like, you know, Jesus has landed and, and we're here um, and we're going to win. But it doesn't mean that, um, you know, Satan and all his allies aren't putting up a damn good fight, that there aren't casualties uh, and, and, and people uh, are even crossing sides. Like it's, um, he's going to do that until the day that Jesus returns. But again, we're told the woman is protected, carried by eagle's wings. Beautiful, isn't it? It's a beautiful picture. Where does that take you? Back to in the Bible, that picture of being carried by eagle's wings, carried by God. Yeah, Isaiah, Exodus 19, isn't it? You know, that picture of Israel literally being carried on eagle's wings to be God's people, to Mount Sinai. Um, again, it's just a beautiful, beautiful picture uh, of, uh, of just God's grace. Um, and of course, we're going to be carried by God's grace, for exactly the same time that we're going to be persecuted and chased uh, by the devil and his allies. And I think, and here's the thing, I think it's so easy for us to, you know, in the busyness and the stress of life, isn't it, the strife, um, in, our, in our sort of fetishes and sins, we, we sort of get caught up in the day-to-day skirmishes, take our eye off the, the big picture, um, take our eye off Jesus. Uh, and I think that's when we can get caught up in, in, you know, and get short-sighted in the, in the skirmishes that um, forgetting who's won, that we can, I guess, lose our way. We can wander and stray and, and start to doubt God's goodness. And again, it's why it's so good to gather to sing. Um, I mean, those songs of salvation we've been singing already this morning and we're going to keep singing um, about Jesus' great victory. And I think one of the really dangerous things to, to do is to think it can never happen to you. That, you know, it can never happen to you. That, you know, oh, I'm all right, you know. I don't, I, you know, I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need to come to church. I don't need to pray. It won't happen to me. Well, chapter 12, in summary, is a picture of a, a weak and vulnerable and frail church. But a church that's already won. Already won. Already have the victory. As we come to chapter 13, there's another paradox. I wonder what you made of it. We've got this, we've already met the dragon, but he... He's, he's thrown down to earth, and, it's, and then we're told that he's like he's he's recruited some more allies. Allies. He's he's sort of he's trying to do whatever he can to hold the advance of Jesus and and, and Christianity um, around the world. Uh, it's it's like he sort of goes out and and, he, and he's got the, almost the top draft picks, you know, and he's uh, to sort of bolster and he appears invincible, um, and certainly uh, to little local struggling churches. So chapter 13, uh, the dragon's great counterfeit, I've called this. Um, have you ever been conned? Have you ever been suckered in by a counterfeit? 
like do you have a story where you you know might be a little one could be a big one uh, i have so um and we're always being warned about you know um continually aren't we that the sort of the the cons the counterfeits the deceptions um coming to us via our computers especially we've got here a dragon a beast and a false prophet what do we make of these three spiritual powers wreaking havoc on the earth this this coalition of evil from below this 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 threesome well i wonder if it's it is strangely unfamiliar i mean it's unfamiliar we don't normally sort of talk like this and and that but i wonder if there was a strange familiarity to you uh, familiarity with some attributes as you just run your eyes again over the chapter um, because i think if you want a way to understand the story of satan in the whole bible he's the great counterfeiter he's always trying to imitate god uh, and so you know he rocks up in genesis 3 making out he's got authority like god doesn't he that he can offer life and stuff like that he just offers offers death um, see the dragon i think is presented in revelation is like god the father of somehow he's got you know uh authority the first beast is created in the dragon's image we're told a bit like how we're told that christ is created in the image of god the father uh, the second beast the false prophet uh that's the dragon's media machine if you like uh he's the he's like the holy spirit there to sort of uh, tell people about and get them to worship the first beast. A bit like the Holy Spirit is sent into the world to show the truth of Jesus for their lives. Now, just as we just spend a few minutes looking at chapter 13, with that in mind, I just wonder if you can pick out some of those sort of counterfeit imitations of the Godhead. Uh, I also want us to remember, though, the key pastoral purpose of chapter 13. Um, you think, well, why do I need to know this? Why do I need to be told all this? Um, well, it's to, so we can, be, we can wise up as Christians. Um, uh, poorly taught, badly taught Christians, uh, people who don't know the Bible, who can think, never happened to me, they're the sort of Christians that can get themselves um, suckered in by counterfeit deceptions. It's to shock us out of complacency, to make us alert, prayerful, watchful. Now, the first beast... Uh, the dots there in your leaflet, I want to suggest the first beast equals uh, the great secular counterfeit. The great secular counterfeit. We've got a beast coming out of the sea. And I wonder what you heard when chapter 13 was read. Now, out of the sea, where does that take us? Well, it takes us to a place like Isaiah chapter 17. Isaiah 17 verse 12. I've got those, those words here. Thanks, Ethan. So... Um, uh, woe to the many nations that rage they rage like the raging sea woe to the peoples who roar they roar like the roaring of great waters now in the bible the sea is uh, as a, is used to sort of metaphorically represent uh, nations secular nations if you like and governments uh, this beast is how satan uh, uses loves to use secular nations and governments as his instrument to cause strife and suffering for God's people. So they can either be seduced to give up on Jesus or pressured or pressured to give up on Jesus, like they tried to pressure Polycarp from the, the Bishop of Smyrna. Uh, the beast John saw, we, we heard he's fearsome, he's like a, 
a leopard, a bear, a lion. He's fearsome. He's got ten horns, seven heads, ten crowns. And again, where does that take us? Well, it takes us to a place like Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Uh, where we read about four beasts. We read about the rise and the fall of nations. Nations like the great King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, who remember in Daniel's day, just came and smashed Jerusalem and Judea. They took away a remnant and Daniel. And you've got those faithful band of Israelites who are persecuted. They're trying to wisely stand their ground. Do you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3? Remember that? You know, I don't know, King Nebuchadnezzar obviously was bored one day, decided to make a massive gold obelisk, you know, and then he got suckered in by uh, some of his sort of leaders who just hated the Jews to say, you should just, you should make every person have to bow down and worship that. That's what you should do. And so he does, um, except for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they refuse to bow down. They are thrown into a hot fire, but we read they're protected They're protected by one like a son of man. They walk out unharmed. It's just a reminder that, you know, in their day, in Daniel's day, uh, in the day of John, in the first century, in fact, in any century, you can go anywhere in the world, in any decade, and you can just see that that being a Christian in this world, it's not a hobby, it's not a pastime, it's not even a sport. Those seven local churches, we, 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 we read, didn't we, just how hard-pressed some of them were in chapters 2 and 3. And some of them was, were compromising. They were really struggling to stand firm. In fact, some have strayed badly. Uh, and Jesus' word was pretty stern to them to actually turn back and sort, sort themselves out or watch out. But the beast has seven heads. Uh, and in John's day, uh, quite possibly that would have brought to mind for John and Christians... Uh, who, are, who are being so persecuted uh, of, of, uh, that since um, Augustus there had been seven emperors um, and you know you'd sort of cut the head off one and another one would rise up and in fact some wonder that was possibly talking about Nero um, and that you know we read about that these seven heads had blasphemous names on their heads uh, all the emperors loved to sort of um, change their name and so Nero printed a coin you know, he was the saviour of the world, uh, Domitian. Uh, he demanded to be worshipped as our Lord and our God. And look, you see it. You, you can go to any century, any decade, can't you? Um, and for Christians in parts of the world today, they're being pressured and forced uh, to worship uh, what is not God. The first lesson from Revelation uh, chapter 13 Uh, is that Satan is behind all secular opposition to Jesus and his people. Um, That through the centuries, Satan has used systems of government to ban Christianity, to imprison Christians, to kill them, uh, you know, to stop scripture being taught in schools, you know. Now, of course, the reaction for us as Christians can be to, well, let's just start our own schools. Let's, you know, we need to become more monastic. Now, I'm not saying Christian schools and sending your kids to a Christian school is not a good thing. Uh, But it's interesting, in John 17, in that great prayer, uh, Jesus said he saved his disciples out of the world only to send them back into the world for the sake of the nations, for the sake of the very nations who put him on the cross and who persecute us. Uh, Please don't hear me saying we should 
throw our kids to the lions and send them to secular schools. That's, that's a personal choice that needs much discernment. All I'm saying is that the danger is we can become monastic. Uh, we don't pursue non-Christian friendships. We don't bother investing in people at work or in sporting clubs who are not Christian or not like us. Um, so I think what we need to do is to, uh, I want to hopefully show us um, in the second half of verses 5 to 8 and actually in the, in the second half of this chapter, uh, just three quick beautiful lessons about God's sovereignty. Um, I, I think God's sovereign grace, God's sovereignty, it's the most beautiful doctrine. The longer I'm a Christian, just the more beautiful it becomes. It's just, all it means is that, is that God's in control always over everyone and everything. He's sovereign. He's the boss. Do you remember back in chapter 12, verse 5? We're told the child was caught up to God and to his throne. That takes us back to chapters 4 and 5. You see, John just wants to keep taking us back to remind us this singular truth that the whole Bible keeps, keeps preaching. God's on the throne. God's on his, he's always on his throne. And the Lamb is on the throne. God is sovereign. God is saving. He's on his throne. And he's keeping his servants safe. And so three beautiful ways that John, in the midst of this ugly chapter, it's a horrible chapter about beasts and, and, and how Satan is using counterfeits. Uh, the first way is, is he uses the voice of Isaiah. I want to take us back to that reading from Isaiah and just finish off that little section. Thanks, Ethan. This is how, so woe to the many nations that rage, that rage like the raging sea. Woe to the peoples who roar. They roar like the roaring of great waters. Although the peoples roar, like the roaring of surging waters. When God rebukes them, they flee away, driven before the wind like chaff on the hills, like tumbleweed before a gale. In the evening, sudden terror. Before the morning, they are gone. This is the portion of those who loot us. Uh, for some reason, the bottom part's been chopped off. Uh, this is the portion of those who loot us. That's God's people. Uh, the lot of those who plunder God's people. As I was teaching... 800 years before Jesus, uh, what God teaches everywhere in the Bible about his sovereignty. Nations rise and fall like a match lit for a moment that he blows out when he's ready to blow it out. God lights the match. How long it burns for, God's in control of that. And when God decides enough is enough and he blows the match out, he blows it out. Look at history, the rise and fall of nations. A second beautiful way we see God's sovereignty at work in this passage is that back in chapter 12, verse 4, we were told that the dragon was only permitted to throw one-third of the stars to earth. There we, that's that one-third again, restrained, God's restraining grace. Uh, look at Revelation chapter 13, verse 5. Chapter 13, verse 5. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. You think, well, where's God's sovereignty in that? Two little words, was given. Was given. Even the mouth and every breath that unbelievers have in the world to blaspheme God is a gift from God. Verse 7, same again. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And again, even the, any authority um, that a secular 
government or institution or an unbeliever has, uh, whatever they have, is a part of God's common grace. It's only because God permits, God allows. Again, we're told about the 42 months again um, for that, that allotted time. We're told again and again there's a limit to secular, beastly opposition. Uh, that time and again uh, we're to pray, God love, hears our prayers, uh, and that God is powerfully at work through our prayers. And as we, as we persevere and take our stand, as we hold firm. And so, again, like Elijah, time of prayer and protection, providing all that we need. We've got to keep trusting that. That in the gospel, by the, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of the gospel, uh, by the encouragement of each other, God provides all that we need to be able to stand and stand well. Uh, the other thing that comes out, I think, here, though, is, uh, yes, people who stick with Jesus are safe, they're sealed. But it also begins to show uh, how and why all opposition to Jesus and his people is futile. There's a, there's a real futility in, in opposing Jesus. The third assurance about God's sovereignty and that Christians will be saved is there in verse 8. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. And you think, well, hang on, that seems to be saying the exact opposite. Uh, all those names that are not in Jesus' book of life, they're the ones who worship the beast by default. But then just flip that. All whose names are in the book of life don't. They worship Jesus the Lamb. Now, I know, you know, I often hear stories. Look, I know that when, you know, every, every couple of months, Jane and Renee and, you know, Carolyn, they do a great job sending out the rosters. And I know that that's the email you wait for. You love to open. Yes! My name is on the roster. Woohoo! Four times this month, I'm pumped. I'm so excited. Then when you get that weekly reminder from PCO that you're on setup or you're on morning tea, you know, or, or kids, you go, oh, yes, finally my turn's come around. Now, I don't want to dull your excitement, and I love the way everyone chips in here, but Jesus says, don't rejoice that your name is written in the church roster, all right? Okay. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life, all right? That's what we should always be rejoicing about. And rejoice that your name's in the church roster, okay? Three beautiful reminders about that God is sovereign. To be a Christian is you're safe, you're sealed. And what's the application? Well, it's the same application right through the whole book, verse 10. It calls for endurance and faith. Endurance and faith. Persevering on the part of all God's people, all God's people together. It's, it's a community. The church is a community. We need each other. Jesus said that in this world we will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. Now, just very briefly, this second beast, uh, the false prophet. Um, I initially had this as sort of false religion, actually, but I reckon it's bigger than that. I think it's any false knowledge, any false teaching about God. Um, and that's bigger than just other religions. Um, it's the false prophet because the second beast is clearly labelled as the false prophet in chapters 16, 19 and 20 in Revelation. Uh, but look, here's the third ally. He's, he's sort of the 
Holy Spirit imitator. Here's the, 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 the dragon's propaganda machine, if you like. You've got two horns like a lamb. So, um, again, counterfeit, trying to get people to worship um, the lamb who's not a lamb. <laughs> Uh, verses 11 and 12 uh, speaks like the dragon makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast Um, now for those of us familiar with the bible again you're familiar with with the doctrine of god uh, the father the son and the spirit Uh, it begins to be a vague familiarity hopefully we think oh i can see the counterfeit i can start to see it now yeah right uh, and it, I think when I talk about Satan using human instruments and institutions as his media outlets to sort of propagate false truth, false knowledge about God, uh, to try to deceive people uh, to not worship Jesus. The principle is this. I think that any knowledge industry that shapes or reinforces what people think about God, about themselves or about the world um, Satan loves to get hold of those sort of instruments to use them to his own end. Now, just a couple of comments here, really to stimulate us to start having a conversation uh, and maybe start praying about these things. Just think politically. Politically, uh, wouldn't the world have us believe that the great messianic hope for humanity is what? Democracy, isn't it? If we could just get rid of all the totalitarian governments in the world, if, it was, if we could just see democracy in every country, yeah, it'd be the end of conflict and peace. Would be... well, take the mass media and the internet. Now, journalism, it used to be about um, reporting the truth, didn't it? To try to report the story as it was uh, because people needed to know, uh, because people in power especially needed to be held accountable. But the mass media, the internet, isn't it now all about um, reporting half-truths or mistruths in order to orchestrate outcomes? Isn't it so agenda-driven that you open a newspaper and you just, you've got no idea, I've got no idea whether I'm reading the truth or not. Then you take our educational institutions. Uh, we used to send our children to secular schools to learn to read and write and to do math. And now, I've talked to some parents, they come home... Says my child's come home and started demanding their rights. My child's come home and is telling me how to have safe sex. You know, they're six. My child um, is coming home and saying, you know, I'm pro. Pro just about anything. My child is coming home. And every time they try to put up a different point of view in class about what they learn in the Bible. They get shouted down or publicly humiliated or sent to the front office. You see, the point being made here is not that these institutions are in and of themselves evil, okay? That is just the wrong way to think. Like a knife. You know, we saw a knife being... Some of us got a little bit scared at the beginning, I think. Um, But a knife can be used... Uh, for, for what it's designed for, really good things, but it also can be used to do great harm. It's nothing to do with the knife and everything to do with the hand that the knife is in. And that's the point here. Any instrument can be used to propagate truth or error, righteousness or wickedness, 
life-promoting laws or life-harming laws. It's true, isn't it? Uh, We live in a time of, you know, it's all about progress and progress comes not from remembering our past but freeing ourselves from it, doesn't it? Letting go. Uh, My money, my health, my ATAR, my beauty, my rights, my sexual fulfilment, my time, my success. Isn't this the oxygen we are being told to breathe by our political leaders and educational institutions and the mass media? And it's why it's so important more than ever Christian parents here who've still got kids at home, you've got to hear the Bible's instructions. Uh, it's our responsibility to be training up our kids in the way to go. We are never taught anywhere in the Bible to outsource raising our kids up to know Jesus. It's our responsibility and it takes a village. I was just chatting with my sister yesterday. They, they've got a foster daughter who's uh, a fetal alcohol, but she's... She's really struggling. She's having such a hard time at school um, to the point like it's just, you know, my, my sister was in tears, just, you know, and she just, she just made the comment, she just, it, it just takes a whole village to raise a child these days. Um, and, uh, and that's just one of the thousands who, who aren't in a loving home. But we've got to hear the call for wisdom, for discernment. Uh, to, to always be on the lookout and watch out. What do we read? Verse 18, this calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. The number is 666. Now, there's an extra Bible study uh, in those Lamb Wins Bible studies, okay? So uh, at the end, have a look at that. But just quickly, God's seal is the Holy Spirit. That's God's sure salvation. Um, now, about 100 years after John's letter, no one knew what the, word, what the number 666 meant. But what we can say is that we do know that the devil is the great counterfeiter, uh, the great counterfeit of Christ. We can say that the number 666 is not 777. Uh, that 666 always falls short of 777. Uh, of course, 7 is God's complete number, the basic number, God's perfect number. Um, to have this number, uh, this seal, this stamp, six six six, is is to live and worship simply as what is not God. Uh, that you're always going to fall short. Uh, you're never going to be satisfied. You're always going to end up disappointed. And we are. We've been told who has this seal, who has this number. Anyone whose name is not written in the book of life, that, that is, who's not a Christian, who hasn't repented and, and taken Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. Uh, And so six always means missing the mark. Six means missing out on the meaning of life. Uh, Six is not God's number. The beast glories in man. The beast wins when man glories in man. God's purpose for man is to glory in God. And that's how you win at life. To glory in Jesus, his son, the real lamb of God. As we finish... I want to finish not with the number six, but the number seven, because it is such an awesome number. It means completeness. It means fulfillment, perfection. It means rest with God in eternity. It means sealed and saved by the blood of the lamb. Number seven means rejoice, rejoice and take heart. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Now, I've got a few quotes here from 
uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and Val had brought this in or borrowed it. I couldn't find my copy. Um, this is a great summer read, the, the biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you haven't read it. Um, uh, so, wise, if you're wondering what to give you know, your man or you just, you're wondering what to ask for Christmas, ask for that and read it. That's a good read. Uh, now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a German Christian minister. He defied Hitler, kept speaking out against the regime. His defiance meant he spent years in a concentration camp and sadly, just before um, armistice, he was, um, he was killed. Uh, he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship and I've just got a couple of quotes here. First one is this. The messengers of Jesus will be hated to the end of time. They will be blamed for all the divisions which rend cities and homes. Jesus and his disciples will be condemned on all sides for undermining family life and for leading the nation astray. They will be called crazy fanatics and disturbers of the peace. Uh, Quite prophetic words. Uh, Here's another quote. I really like this one. Um, Because he lived in an age when many local churches, uh, the institutional church, got on the Hitler train. That's actually how Hitler came to power. He writes this, If you board the wrong train, it's no use running along the corridor in the opposite direction. (laughs) Uh, I love that quote. You hear what he's saying, don't you? you're on the train like now there's always going to be different trains trying to leave the station i wonder what you think the secular agendas are at the moment the sort of trains trying to leave the station trying to get christian support we need wisdom and discernment courage and solidarity Uh, he records obviously he did not get on the hitler trained he refused to get on that train why because he understood what it cost jesus he understood the cross And he understood Jesus' call to take up his own cross. As he says, thanks, Ethan, next slide. When Christ calls a man or woman, he bids him or her come and die. Come and die. Now, just sometimes uh, that actually means it costs us our life. Uh, So how do we keep getting off the canvas each day and getting into the ring when the odds seem so stacked against us? Well, remember the message of Revelation. It's not that the lamb will win. He's already won. He's already won. I want to finish with this image. Who can tell me where it is? Maybe you've been there. The great, great one. It's real. It's on the side of a church. Colin, be quiet. Coventry. The cathedral. And it is the angel Michael standing over Satan. He's been thrown down out of heaven. And it's exactly taken from chapter 12. Friends, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Let me pray. Father God, thanks so much that uh, you did send your son. uh, That when Jesus breathed his last and said, it is finished. It's finished. Satan's been disarmed and thrown down. He can never again accuse unbelievers of our sin. That to be a Christian is to be forgiven now and forever and always. Uh, Guard us from the counterfeit. Uh, Guard us from being suckered in. Uh, Guard us from the strife and being pressured uh, to conform. Just help us to help each other to keep our eyes, our hearts, our minds fixed on Jesus, the crucified risen lamb who's one. And thank you that we can live with the confidence 
the quiet assurance that we have won. And may that fill us not with pride, but with love, courageous love, to do the unimaginable, to love unimaginably and radically, to speak and share courageously. We pray this for your glory and for the sake of the nations who so need to hear about your son. Amen.